Hello, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of The Edge of the Block. I'm Ben Small, and I'm joined by Oliver Lawrence, Risk Management and Investigation Specialist over at Ion Asia, and Kingpin from Obsidian Sports Management, Real Meta. We get straight into the sports industry and how much scrutiny it's come under because of its exploitation of fans via digital asset products, namely NFTs, of course. And essentially, we go into the lessons that should have been learned by now, what organisations must do moving forward if this is going to be a reliable strategy. Well, without further ado, let's get to it. Rahul, Oli, great to have you guys on. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Ben. Um, Pleasure to be uh, on the podcast. Yeah, likewise. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, good fun. Looking forward to engaging. Absolutely. Well, it's an idea that started in a pub, right, a couple of months ago. So um, it's nice to finally get here. Know a bit about you guys, but I think it's probably worth just going back into your backgrounds a little bit. Ollie, do you want to start there? Yeah, sure. Thanks very much. So, um, yeah, I'm in the investigations and security risk management space, um, leading the London office of a Hong Kong-based investigational security risk management company. Um, we've been going since uh, the early 2000s, but my Personal background is very classical law enforcement, um, having spent uh, 17 years living in Australia, 12 of which were in the police. Uh, I left Australia in 2019 after setting up a private investigative practice in Australia that was bought out by the company that I now work for. And uh, I specialize in all things investigations, intelligence and security risk management, supporting clients globally with a variety of different problems. And one of those, which we're going to talk about today, is obviously the digital space and the the evolution of NFTs. I'd make a big point in the introduction that I've got two international jet setters there. So that was a that was a good roundup there, Ollie. Raul. Um, yeah. So Ben, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm the co-founder of Obsidian Sports Management, which I set up about seven years ago. Uh, primarily, <laughs> we do a number of different deals in sports space within football, motor racing, uh, boxing, cricket, tennis, um, and we do sponsorship deals. We do partnerships between football clubs and other clubs, advice various clients who want to buy sports franchises, and and also uh, have an arm that does financing for football clubs as well. And uh, with this new uh, digital craze, we've been involved in uh, advising different athletes on NFTs, producing their own NFTs, and also doing a lot around this space um, outside of the sports industry as well with restaurant NFTs and uh, and actually with a particular player, Dimitar Berbatov, we were actually doing NFTs on his clothing line back in 2019 when NFTs weren't a big thing, actually. Russ Dimitar to be doing stuff ahead of the game like that. Yeah, that's not surprising at all, is it? What's the story behind that now? It's a bit of a side note, but... Uh, yeah, so I mean, his uh, clothing line D9B still goes. He's, he makes limited edition merchandise, um, mainly hoodies, t shirts, caps, and things like that. And uh, it's all stamped on the blockchain. It's all so you can authenticate that you're buying an original piece. All the pieces are um, a, a unique number or are made so you might have number one of 1000 or one of 100 and you 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 can check that it's an authentic piece what number you have and you get a a special message from dimitar buying one of the pieces as well so 
Right, well, I'm Googling frantically here. Um, all looks pretty solid to me, I've got to say. Ollie, you could probably replace that Blackpool, uh, Blackpool jumper with a new DB. You know, Rahul and I have known each other for many, many years, so I continue <laughs> to, to plug where I can for the uh, Prouch Rights. <laughs> Good man. Well, I mean, um, great to hear the variety of experience you've had with NFT so far, Rahul. Um, and I think that plays into a lot of the topics we're going to touch in today. Just to give a bit of a recap on the NFT market as a whole, probably quite important because we have gone through a, a rocky time crypto in general. I remember Kraken actually released their market report at the end of April suggesting transactions or number of transactions had really stalled given all the turmoil in you know, other markets. But volumes still remained high. So I, I did a bit of analysis before this call. And actually, um, number of transactions today do you want to wager a bet there how many nft transactions are going through on a daily basis uh ooh. oh i'd That's say right. i'd say probably in the millions so it has been there um but since obviously everything that's happened we're down to eighty four thousand transactions however oh, wow. however trading volume sales in total have equated to just under 40 million dollars so it shows that yeah, obviously transactions have, have dropped, but um, those that are building and creating some kind of uh, value to the marketplace are still able to sell high despite all the, the worrying out there. So that's quite interesting. I suppose that the flip side to that, when we go and we get the microscope out straight onto sport, there's been a lot of bad press around socios recently. Um, yep. and the tokens they've released. So I don't know, should we sort of lean into that to start off with? Yes, please. Yeah. My view of Socius, 50 plus tokens out there. They work with 100 different clubs. So obviously, there's a responsibility there to protect fan engagement and things. Flagship one, City. Last year, their token was valued, well, I think, all-time high at $28, uh, 28 pounds. Like pounds, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think it's down at four, four pounds today. There you go. Bang on. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, what sorts of what what are we starting to see here? What what's we hoping the sports world has learned from that? Well, I think I, I think, you know, we, we've had a lot of backlash from fans um with clubs who have teamed up with socios uh, for a number of reasons really, because fans always want to engage with the club, but they don't necessarily want to buy a token to get that access to getting some uh, you know benefits because the the problem with socios i believe is that the benefits for the fans are negligible you know do i really care about voting on the color of the team bus or what music is played in the stadium or what maybe the third kit might be and what color it is i really couldn't care less to be honest as a fan that that to me is not fan engagement in in my opinion and and to buy a token the, to get those privileges, I, I just don't see it is is a fan engagement at all. Now, there is the flip side that you buy the token because you're speculating that it's going to rise in value, like City's token did do, and then you have to, you know, like any investment, you have to time the market right, and you cash out once you've made a good enough profit or, or whatever you deem is 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 good for you. You know, if you do hold it and it and it goes down, well, you know that is like any other investment in the stock market and things like that. So I do think there are advantages to tokenization and and buying tokens of sports clubs, but I just believe that 
there should be more advantages for the fans to actually buy these tokens. Um, and you're very right, you know, recently City's token was at a higher £28, it's now gone down to £4. And, you know, Crystal Palace recently, they, they only made, I think it was 600, well, Socios only made 634,000 from the token recently uh, with Crystal Palace. So what, you, what you're seeing is that fans are not buying into it as much. Um, and I also think there's an educational part here whereby a lot of fans don't understand the crypto world and how they ha- can engage. Um, and you've got to make it simpler for someone to buy the token and educate them how to do it, how to set up a wallet and things like that. And to be honest, I don't believe that the clubs actually do enough to help the fan base understand this. You know, they're doing it. And I think the other interesting thing is, you know, socials typically does a three-year deal with a club. What happens to that token if Manchester City or Barcelona or some other big club decides we are not renewing the contract after the three years. Juventus have one more year left on their contract. So, you know, socials say that the token does not expire, but actually if you read the small print, uh, if the club does not renew the contract with them, then the token is worthless effectively on that club. So that's another thing you have to take into account. And I think a lot of fans don't realise that. There's uh, three things, three important categories you're, you're hitting on there. Though. So I, I agree, education, anything crypto, anything blockchain right now, education needs to be uh, reimagined, I think, because it's only captivated a certain section of the population. And yet sports fans capture a far wider group, right? So if you're going for a real fan engagement, you need to consider that. I'd love to sort of find out what you think could be improved there. Um, from a security point of view and, you know, being enticed in on, on, on from an investment perspective. Uh, I mean, do you know what the average fan has spent with Socius? I think it's a hundred. Uh, I think it's a hundred a pound or something like that. Yeah, it's closer to 150 dollars. So yeah, that's a, exactly. Um, which I suppose is yeah, not not a, a a tiny amount, and it would suggest that there there is some call for utility. But you're you're saying you're suggesting that actually most of the utility that's been provided so far has been pretty worthless from a fan's perspective. So what's what's your view there? Have you got? Do you think clubs have any ability to make it more enticing, more engaging, more valuable, just from a utility perspective? Well, I think they can. I mean. Uh... I think the the clubs should work more closely with the fan base and actually ask them, you know, what what do you want to see, you know, uh, which is tangible as a fan, um, you know, and which will encourage you to, you know, buy that token because you're getting better benefits. And as I said before, to vote on the colour of the team bus or, or the music in the stadium, well, for me personally, I don't think it's that great at all. And, you know, if you're a Liverpool fan or a Man City fan, well, what colour are you going to change the bus to? You know yeah. it's going to be blue if you're a Man City fan or a radio if it's a Liverpool fan. And so you're definitely not, not changing the, the song being played. At, completely yeah. agree. Yeah, and I, um, I, I think from, from that side, it, it's probably more difficult than, um, than initially imagined. Um, but I take your point. They could be surveying a lot more and asking fans direct questions. We've got this great technology here. What would you like us to do with it? 
I suppose, as opposed to forcing things down, down their throats. From a security perspective, well, where, where do you think, obviously Raul mentioned lack of, lack of knowledge, lack of education mm. and things. What would you be worried about fans yeah, actually following the steps follow, to, to buy these tokens, but then maybe not knowing how to, to keep themselves protected from, from hacks or you know, no personal error as well? That's, that's a lot of the time. That's where these things come from. Yeah, and I think that's probably, you know, we hit the nail on the head in terms of education is that the evolution of NFTs and the digital space, cryptocurrency, we talk about wallets, we talk about tokens, we talk about a variety of different things, you know, most fans will be familiar with a bank account, a PIN number, you know, a credit card and, and what they have to do to be able to access their cash. Whereas NFTs in this new space aren't really something that you can, you know, not overly tangible in terms of I can see it, feel it, touch it. It exists in this kind of new era of, um, of, the, of the digital world. And with that inherently comes risks of people not only pretending to have a particular asset because it is a new type of digital asset, like I've got this and then trying to sell it and then looking at intellectual proprietary rights as to ownership. Um, you know, when I buy it, does, what does it mean? Do I have the rights to resell it? Does it mean I can use it? Can I share it? What does that mean? Um, and I think a lot of people, especially fans at probably a younger age level, those sort of fans that aren't really engaged in the, the technology space as, as we all are, may start to become victims of either fraud or, or other issues may crop up in terms of those safeguarding issues in terms of, you know, how they set up these accounts, how secure are they? You know, there are many, many different stories of people buying, you know, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency many, many years ago and then losing those hard drives where their keys are, which are sitting in a tip somewhere in the world, now worth hundreds of millions. So there are a number of risks that people have to take into account in terms of due diligence when I'm buying it, who am I buying it from? What does that chain look like from start to finish? And I think, uh, yeah, what is it? It's the whole education piece around that is important, but it's ever evolving. In the education actually never stops because the threats continue to increase. And there's, you know, the old fashioned type of criminality that we've seen in years gone by has changed now to this more online world. You know, the, the amounts of frauds that go on in, in life generally, excluding anything that happened in the AFT world, is just astronomical. So I think it's an era that, um, that clubs and sporting entities and, and the whole digital world needs to get their head around fairly quickly so as to be able to support people, not only in the good times, but also in the bad times. To, to, to help them better understand how to safeguard their assets and how to do it safely, I think is the important part because the risk to exist. Yeah, safely being key. So are you saying that the res responsibility should sit with the clubs to help their fans through that? Or is it for the fans to educate themselves on, yeah, where do you draw the line there? I think so to some extent, but there's only so much clubs can do before really, I think, you know, the, li the liability and the requirement for people to make their own decisions, you know, there have been uh, a number of cryptocurrency, and I'll just move away from NFTs, NFTs briefly, a number of cryptocurrency thefts of late in terms of people approaching people on Facebook and other social media platforms and saying, listen, I, I suggest you invest in this particular exchange. We're having good returns. They convince people to turn large sums of money into a crypto, um, into Bitcoin or a different type of coin, invest it into exchange, and suddenly it all disappears. And... There's an argument that some of the banking institutions where we're allowing these transfers to go on, the banks should be held accountable to some extent for allowing their customers to be able to pursue to some of these exchanges without the proper due diligence. But is it really the bank's fault? It's for us. Whenever we buy a house or we buy a car, we make sure that it doesn't have a mortgage, that you know, it's, it is what it, you know, we have surveys carried out to make sure it's all 
right one and good. There's no difference in this space. One has to do their due diligence. But where, what due diligence do you do on something which you can't physically hold? What are those steps? What do they look like? So, and that is where we're being engaged more and more in terms of that due diligence space, not so much in terms of the asset or the, or the actual coin or NFT, but behind the individuals that are selling them or marketing them or wanting to handle what, who are those people? You know, how legitimate are they in their business and their transactions and their backgrounds? You know, because they're going to be a lot of opportunistic people trying to replicate um, and seeing this as, a, an, as an ability to profit on something that people don't know a lot about. And it's the old adage, if it sounds too good to be true, then generally it is. So I think it's kind of buyer beware, caution to be applied, to go through the appropriate steps. It's probably another conversation in great depth as to what those particular steps are to, to a successful transaction. Absolutely. I think um, as the, the space develops, the, the options available to people to actually dig down into that will, will vary over the time. Um, Rahul, I mean, those, the points that Oli just mentioned there about doing your due diligence on the people behind the technology or the, the behind the projects, that must be a huge onus on, on you when you're setting up these partnership deals to do exactly that. Well, certainly. I mean, I, I just want to touch on one bit earlier on just on the education side. I, I actually think the clubs should actually run a sort of a workshop or something, invite the fans and give a talk about crypto and what the clubs are, uh, is doing around this with the fan tokens and things like this or NFTs and actually educate them what it is why the club is doing it, what the benefits and, and pitfalls are, and, you know, actually educate them um, by doing this. I, I, I think a lot of fans would probably turn up and be very intrigued to learn more. And, you know, I'm surprised clubs aren't doing this, actually. One thing. Now, going on to your second point, yes, it is difficult to do you know, thorough due diligence on a lot of these companies because they are appearing in different jurisdictions around the world. Some of them, you know, maybe not the best jurisdictions. Um, it is sometimes very difficult to actually understand who is behind, you know, this particular company. And, you know, I mean, that really ties in with, with Ollie and, and the work he does and to gather more data and, and find out if, the, if these particular individuals and, and companies are legitimate and things. Um, you know, we've already seen it with Manchester City and Barcelona who had to uh, terminate partnerships with NFT providers because they found out that the people behind them, well, <laughs> coach or, or, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, they, they didn't do enough due diligence on it and they ended up having to terminate their partnerships with, with those particular platforms. Um, and, you know, that doesn't really paint the clubs in, the, in a very good light. Um, you know, you would expect that large clubs like, like those two would have done a bit more due diligence. Maybe they should have actually called Ollie and said, uh, you know, please do some more due diligence. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I think the key thing for this is to add on to that point that Rahul made is some of these are a very high risk investment, but you know, the returns and the yields can be incredibly high also. So I think it's high risk, it's high reward. And I think probably one of the greatest things is intimidates a lot of people. So Rahul quite rightly pointed out 
is a lot of these exchange, a lot of these companies that sit behind these are in jurisdictions. With which if something goes wrong, it's very difficult to find out a who's sitting behind the entity because it may be in the Cayman Islands or it may be you know somewhere else far flung in offshore offshore jurisdiction, which really then hampers your ability to be able to respond to something in the case where things go wrong. And it's, you know, that's a worst case scenario. But I think that is something that people do have to take into account when they look at you. You've only got to go on some of these um, platforms such as, the, you know, CoinMarketCap and look at the top five exchanges in the world, you know, and or start to look at them all in their rankings and have, you know, the, the reviews, et cetera. I think gives people a good idea, a good starting point at least to know that I'm in a, in a safer space than I could be with some unknown company in the back of Mauritius. Yeah, I suppose it's human nature to want to trust people as you go along on these these opportunities, though. So the the, the traps are there. I mean, that that leads to a really important point, Ollie. I'm sure you've got lots of uh, experience on this sort of stuff. But what sorts of solutions are in place for those that have got caught up in in the wrong kind of projects, right? Or they've used the wrong providers. Uh, maybe they they didn't check Coin Market Cap and they didn't cross check the reviews there. Yeah, if people come to you along along those lines, what what's your process? They have done, and, and the stories are incredibly heartbreaking because people are investing sometimes their lifetimes of earnings into an investment opportunity which has been sold them as making huge returns. And as I said, they've, they've transferred money. There have been some glowing red flags, but often the people that come to us are those that I would consider are quite vulnerable um, and are looking for opportunities, and trust is a big thing, and it's not something that these people you know, these adversaries or these these bad actors as we'll probably best describe them, you know, it's a grooming process. You know, they get to know the person, get start talking to them, build that rapport and relationship before they start talking about and creeping into the conversation. Have you thought about cryptocurrency? Have you thought about Bitcoin? Have you thought about Ethernet? All these different asset classes that people have never heard of. And, and sadly, what I, it's probably a stark reality that it comes down to probably a bit of greed in terms of I can make huge amounts of money very, very quickly here instead of just stepping back and looking at it and going, okay, well, let's compare this to what other, other, other investments and, and what I could potentially make on those returns. Um, they're manipulated, manipulated into transferring money into areas that they've never explored before, have very, very little knowledge over, and are really entrusting in this individual to kind of help and guide them. The key to the fallout and the response is moving very, very quickly. But sadly, the cost in being able to do that, the cost of implementing orders and freezing assets, whether it's both, whether it's globally or locally, costs an awful lot of money. Um, and you're going to need a legal team to support you. You know, I have a very real scenario of late, uh, a lady lost over 300,000 pounds to an exchange which is hardly known of, uh, very little, uh, very little to do with anyone or anything. She said, you know, the returns are gonna be huge. You can get 20% on this money per month. It sounded amazing. And, and, and I think probably for most, it would, it would have been a, a case scenario of too good to be true. And then when you start to do your due diligence, you see links in uh, Asia, you see uh, links to the Americas in different parts. And the company names that we're being asked to transfer into don't sound anything like, you know, like a salon, a hair salon, and, and just red flags all over the place. But they've been sold the dream. And once they've been sold the dream, they invest the money and it disappears. And then it's the recovery process. And if, unless you move very, very quickly to understand where money has been moved around. So we, tr we, we trace cryptocurrency quite regularly. We take it to a point where we find a legitimate exchange and then the lawyers have the ability to approach the exchange and say, right, or make an order to the court. I want to freeze these particular assets. I want to know who owns this account. So then we can start looking at the entities behind them. 
but it is very much of a respond quite quickly because if you don't, um, things can be dissipated very quickly and spread around the world. And before you know it, it's being tumbled through various different exchanges and it's very hard or it becomes harder to do the kind of track and trace that we would do to be able to show you where large volumes of money have gone. But it's, um, and the sad reality is a lot of people will look at law enforcement to help them to, to know that they're the first people we always think about if we've had an issue where we think we've been defrauded. Sadly, law enforcement are moving at pace, but probably not at the pace to which we would all like. And there is a threshold to which they will respond to. If I, if I turned up at the police station today, having been the victim of a quarter of a million pound cryptocurrency fraud, I can assure you that they're not going to respond incredibly quickly to that issue. There is a cap, generally we say between one and 1.5 million pounds in the UK is what really that needs to be the level of invest for the investigators to put a team go, because it costs an awful lot of money. So uh, there is a gap in the market for that lower level of clientele in terms of victim um, to try and recover money. So sadly, it's one of those stark realities that losing money to these individuals can be very, very hard to get back with the added complication of a digital currency, which can be transferred very, very quickly. Yeah, which goes back to your main point. Um, try and do as much due diligence as possible to not find yourself in that position in, in the first place. And that's the key. It costs, it costs very little to do that, you know, and mm. that's the thing. By ask, by asking, by, by, and we come up with a set formula that we provide clients. These are the top 10 questions that we will help guide them through it in terms of, right, who is the entity? Where's the background? Where are they banking? You know, all these different set questions. So we look at risk. Is there history in the media of this individual? Do they have expertise in cryptocurrency? Are they licensed? You know, is there a, is there a body which oversees their organization? You know, uh, we, we have it here in the UK, but there are obviously some of these offshore jurisdictions. There, are, there is no licensing body. Uh, and that's why I suppose some of the easier ways of, of doing things offshore, but um, it's challenging. But Rahul, you're going to make a point. Yeah, the, the other point I wanted to make is that, you know, recently we've seen that Terra and Luna have collapsed. And, you know, is there an argument that there was market manipulation here? And that is why, you know, they've collapsed and various uh, holders of that stable coin have now been wiped out. Um, I think there has to be some sort of uh, regulation or accountability with companies who are technically what well, manipulating the markets and and making huge profits uh, on the downfall of uh, you know a, a particular stable coin in this in this case. It's a great point, um, one that can be debated for, for a really long time. Um, and um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm working in the transaction side of things. I can see there is a big push for better regulation around the plumbing of transactions. Um, whether there's better regulation around the kind of information that's um, in the way these products are marketed, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think that's going to take a really long time to, to, to roll out. Um, and I suppose it's... Um, it, if we go back to sport from this perspective, I, I think it's probably a fair assessment that maybe the institutions at play here do have a little bit of responsibility to help educate, which was your point earlier, right? They can they can sit these guys down and, and explain exactly what they're getting into. I mean, we've we've taken a turn for the worse there. there. I do still believe there's lots of positives that clubs could be using this stuff for. So have you got any blue sky topics that you, you imagine you know, this, the NFT you know, technology I, I, will be useful? I think it's from my perspective, because I know I talk about this with me, it can be sometimes a bit doom and gloom, but I think this type of 
this type of evolution is, is, is something that younger generations are thriving for because they are in that digital world. You know, the metaverse and all these different evolutions are going to become somewhat of a norm in 10, 15 years' time. And NFTs will just become a norm like, you know, everyone was probably laughing down cryptocurrency 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's become, the, you know, again, it's, it's one of the new norms. You know, I, I read an awful lot, probably one of the greatest entrepreneurs of our time in Elon Musk. Now, that guy can change markets at the blink of an eye in terms of what he says and comments on Twitter. And I do, you know, and he's a huge believer in cryptocurrency, not so much of a believer in NFTs, but he believes they will ride through. And it is, it is a new evolving era that we've all kind of got to get our heads around. So I think there are boost guys. There are new ways for fans to interact with players and clubs. And I think it will appeal to the younger generations as they come through because it's something that they're growing up with and they're going to witness the evolution of. Whereas probably for some of us, although we're not old, for us, it probably doesn't tick all the boxes, but I can certainly see the desire of the younger generation to want to get involved. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with the Gen Z generation, you know, they don't want to buy a physical painting. They, they want the digital version or digital sneakers or, or clothing and, and utilise that in the metaverse and, you know, walk around, uh, you know, I don't know some sort of ga- video game in their in their outfit that <laughs> virtual outfit and their shoes and and you know you'll be able to go up to that character and go you know what I like those shoes I want to buy them off you and that and transactions like that will will be more and more frequent actually and this is what's going to happen in you know the evolution of the metaverse is that we will be doing transactions in the virtual world and all the big brands are going to be there and you know going from a sports perspective the football clubs the cricket clubs the athletes they're going to have to transition into this sphere and it's it's going to be a new way of well actually i think with football or all sports in general you're going to be watching you know live sport via the metaverse and being as if you're in the stadium and, and feeling that you've got the crowd behind you and you're sitting in the seat in the stadium and things like this. This is what is going to happen. And this is going to be the evolution. NFTs, it's going to get bigger and bigger. I think with this recent crash, in some ways, it's a good thing because we'll get rid of the rubbish that is out there. And I mean, I've always been a believer that if you buy an NFT, there should be some sort of utility behind it. And, you know, it could be that if you buy a piece of artwork, yes, you get the physical version as well. Or, you know, you buy a particular club's NFT, uh, then you get maybe tickets to a game or you get a meet and greet with a player or you, you know, get some signed uh, shirt, something, you know, physical as well. I think that's always more interesting and when and why it's then allows a fan to actually want to buy that uh, particular nft i also think nfts will be used for ticketing for stadiums as well and then that will lead to also having a greater well the clubs will actually understand who's entering the stadium and then you can push more um things to them like when they enter the stadium, why don't you give them a push notification on their NFT ticket that they go to the merchandising store and they get 20% off if they buy there and then? Or you get you know, some sort of 
reward for buying, you know, a combo of food and drink in the stadium. Or if you go a certain number of times to the games, you get another reward, you know, or things like that. Or you get first rights of refusal to buy Champions League tickets or some other, uh, you know, pre-season tour tickets and things like this. That This is where I think NFTs will start evolving. Um, and, you know, the ticketing side, is going to get bigger and it, and from a security standpoint the clubs will know exactly who's entering the stadium and you can ban anyone who is well uh, a hooligan yep. <laughs> and uh, or, or has been banned from from sporting um stadiums or, or from a club in, in in the past they could, and and you'll actually understand why a fan likes to sit in a particular seat yeah what their habits are and this this is the thing that where I think it's going to be very very interesting and fascinating actually. And as a fan, you'll then go, oh, actually, uh, I'm getting notifications and things that are actually tailored to me as a fan. Yeah, and that, we, that, we all know personalisation is, is the is is a big driver anyway. You know, last twenty years that's really kicked on. Uh, blockchain gives you that opportunity to properly narrow down on that, doesn't it? I take your point as far as utility goes. If we can make the, the benefits more physical, it'll act at that bridge, make it easier for people to visualize the benefits of it. I was, I was just going to add to that. The only thing, I think the other thing I think we've got a duty to try and do, or, or maybe clubs have got to do, is to try and keep all the sort of, because there are some NFTs out there, you know, if you look at the, the top 20 sporting FN, NFTs and their values, there's some really unique ones out there. Like I think it's um, Kobe Bryant's um, last, Twitter message online, I think, went for something like 2.5 million US. Um, the statue of LeBron, there's an image worth 21.6 million. Your normal everyday fan is never going to be in the ability or have the ability, I think, to probably pay for that or afford that. So I think it's really important also for clubs to try and maintain a level where, where, where fans can actually get involved and things don't inflate and get out of control, which it kind of raises them completely and puts them them at the market you want them to be part of this whole growing evolution that's why i think we've got to control price you know as i, I think as rahul said but by, by the crash has got rid of all the rubbish and probably this overinflation and all the craziness it'll probably all calm down a little bit but i still think that's really important for clubs to, for, for fans to be able to get involved we've just got to make sure that we don't outprice them because otherwise it becomes something that they actually can't agree. get hold of such a great point well, guys, that's coming oh, yeah. to the end of the call there. Uh, thank you so much for giving your insights on it. I think we touched some really, really good stuff. Probably good to get you back on maybe six months' time to see, uh, see what other mistakes the space has made. And it doesn't have to be that long away. We, we can do it earlier if you want. I would love <laughs> I've that. I've quite enjoyed this, actually. Good. Uh, you both are naturals at it. So, yeah, absolutely. All over that. Thank Thanks, you very man. much, guys. Take care.